Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast, evidence-informed, practical-based. This is Season 2, Episode 44, and of course it's getting colder and colder outside, winter is approaching, and therefore staying cold and flu-free while you train or while you're busy at the office is crucial for maintaining your performance or productivity. In today's episode, we're going to talk exercise and immunology with a man I had the pleasure of meeting last year while attending the International Society of Exercise and Immunologies Conference in Portugal. Expert sport physiologist Dr. David Pine from Australia is on the show. In this episode, David will start with a quick Immunology 101, talking differences between innate versus adaptive immunity, systemic versus local, and cellular versus cytokine-related immune responses. He'll also talk about how the immune system is regulated by exercise and nutrition. How exercise intensity, volume, and training load can all significantly impact immune function. And most importantly, how keeping athletes cold and flu-free so they don't miss any training sessions is fundamentally important to their success. Dr. Pine also talks about the impact of extreme temperatures, both hot and cold, on immune function, and discusses key biomarkers and how effective they may be, or may not be, for flagging athletes at risk of infection. He'll then dive into the topic of immunonutrition, how the food you eat can dramatically impact immune function, such as carbohydrates, fats, probiotics, and whether supplementation can yield marginal gains for athletes. Fantastic insights here from a legend in the field of sport physiology and exercise immunology, You can link to some of the papers discussed here, as well as the podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. If you're interested in more on this topic of immunity, then you can circle back to Season 2, Episode 3 with Mr. Brian Sampierre, Performance Nutrition Director of Precision Nutrition, where we discuss vitamin D and immunity. And for a little more on how to get your training process right to support athlete health and therefore athlete immunity, check out Season 2, Episode 21 on periodization with Mr. Greg Knuckles. Of course, you can check out all these experts and more on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite pod-catching platform. While you're there, please subscribe and you won't miss any of the fantastic, fantastic guests lined up for the rest of this year. If you enjoy this episode, please send out a tweet, share on Facebook, add to your Instagram story, or email to a friend to share Dr. Pine's expert insights with friends, colleagues, and of course, your community. All right, before we get started, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. No sugar, no artificial flavors, absolutely nothing added. What is it? Totem Sport is the world's purest deep ocean mineral water. Collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean, Totem Sport is the only sports drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. The research on deep ocean mineral water is ramping up, a recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Check out totemsport.co.uk and defy the norm. Okay, on to the show, Season 2, Episode 44. Enjoy. My guest today is Professor David Pine, a sports physiologist with 30 years practical and research experience across a range of individual and team sports, such as basketball, rugby union, rugby league, Australian football, cricket, and swimming at the Australian Institute of Sport. He has attended four Olympic Games and published over 200 peer-reviewed papers in exercise and sports science journals. Professor Pine's work has focused on both practical interventions for enhancing sports performance and physiological mechanisms that explain variations in performance, health, and fitness. Prof, really appreciate you taking the time today. 
Well, thanks for having me, Mark. I look forward to the conversation. Terrific. Well, I look forward to diving into this topic today of exercise and immunity. Um, but perhaps you could start the conversation by telling listeners a little bit more about your background and how you actually got started in research and sport. Sure, Mark. As you said, I've probably had almost two um, lives going at once. So one is really being on the ground with sports in my role as a sports scientist, a, a frontline sports science or practitioner uh, across a range of sports. So, you know, as sports enthusiasts, it's uh, great to get in and work you know, on the ground, on the court. Uh, on the pool deck uh, with coaches and athletes. Uh, and so that's been a really rich and rewarding experience for me. So I guess it brings you up close to the action, but then I can apply my trade as a, the other frontline practitioners in working with the coaches and athletes and then obviously dealing with all the challenges that are faced, you know, I guess, in the real world. So in terms of you know, preparing athletes um, during training and then all of the game preparations and recovery and appreciating that sport you know, really is sort of multifaceted. So there's a lot of work to do, and it's important work, obviously, with the athletes and the coaches devoting themselves, and uh, you know, we have to step up to the plate uh, to be part of that uh, show, if you like. And then, as you mentioned, I've uh, had a long background, uh, really, as a scientist, a research scientist doing applied research, trying to address some of those real-world issues uh, problems, the questions that arise from athletes and coaches. So I've done that uh, in the laboratory. Some of that work's actually been in the field as well, um, and more recently yeah, now based, uh, I guess, in university, and trying to work uh, really in that way with the coaches and athletes staying connected, but then also working with a broad range of other professionals uh, in the industry uh, and in the university sector, and also internationally. I mean, sport is global these days, so you've got to reach out far and wide to work with the best people. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if we kick things off here and maybe we can get listeners on the same page by doing a quick immunology 101. So perhaps you could uh, define a few things, you know, innate versus adaptive immunity, systemic versus local, et cetera. Sure. And it's really about athlete health, I guess, as the topic of our discussion today, Mark. For sure. So health is, I guess, for the global level, uh, that's, you know, all our individual responsibility. Um, so and that's a big part of our education, and I'm sure we'll draw on some of that in the in the coming minutes. Uh, so that's sort of self-management and upskilling and educating athletes so they take that responsibility, which is the key at the end, uh, and then also working with a range of sports science professionals, and particularly the primary care physician, you know, your general practitioner or your sports medicine practitioner, who does have that prime responsibility uh, and the expertise and the authority to look after the health and well-being of athletes. And then there's people like me who come in with interest as an exercise immunologist uh, who works you know, with the doctor, the athlete, and other providers like the, uh, the sports nutritionists and dietitians. So it's all about health, and obviously the body's immune system uh, is there to provide what we call the host defence uh, against illness, infection, but also in terms of tissue healing and inflammation, which is a big part of sports. So every athlete knows you know, that injury uh, is really a key consideration. So the body's immune Definitely. system has evolved to uh, ward off infection and deal with tissue repair, um, certainly in the, the sports setting. And, I mean, in simple terms, the immune system is comprised of three elements. So one is like what we call the physical barriers, which is the skin. Obviously, that protects all the internal uh, organs and, and the body. Uh, then there's things like the mucus that lines uh, the mouth, nose, nostril, uh, respiratory system, uh, even down to the gastrointestinal system, which contains all sorts of um, uh, cells and antibodies. So there's sort of physical barriers in the mucus. And then we come down to the immune cells, which are the white blood cells that circulate in the blood and in the tissues. Uh, they actually fight infection. And then we have the antibodies or the proteins um, produced by the cells um, that provide the so-called specific immunity. So from top down, Mark, yeah, I think of it in that way. So there's the physical barriers. There's, I guess, the immune cells, the white blood cells, and then the antibodies. So those three elements combine. You mentioned about the innate versus the acquired immunity. Yep. So if we look at some of those immune cells, uh, so some of those have this what we call um, innate immunity, so they're ones that do have this antibacterial, antiviral activity, 
Uh, and one of the most common white blood cells is the neutrophil. So that undertakes phagocytosis. So, you know, some technical terms there. But we also have um, the lymphocytes, which then form the antibodies. So we've got a range of these so-called white blood cells. So some of those have this innate uh, function to attack viruses and bacteria. But the adaptive elements, so some of these antibodies, they'll target specific antigens. So if you pick up some sort of uh, foreign bug um, that comes into the system, then the body will produce these cells and antibodies that target specifically. So it's often a bit of a battle that goes on between these so-called pathogenic agents, so viruses and bacteria, and then the body's immune system producing these um, antibodies. So normally that's in balance, but occasionally it gets out of balance, and that could be dealt with, obviously, by you know, pharmaceutical intervention or maybe nutritional intervention are probably the two key things uh, there. The second question there, Mark, was the systemic versus local. Yep. So the system, I guess, is really, you can think about that in simple terms, is the blood that circulates the body. Um, so obviously, at rest, you know, we're pumping around a few litres per minute and during exercise, so that can go up tenfold. So the immune system uh, can ramp up pretty quickly in terms of this sort of systemic effects, but local, the easy way to think about that is really out in the periphery. So that where you might have, you know, a localised infection, um, say it might be fungus of the feet, so tinea, or it could be a muscle strain in terms of athletes. Uh, and so then the body's got to uh, pump the blood to get the white blood cells and the antibodies out to those sort of more um, peripheral areas, so the so-called local immunity and then the final element is, you know, what regulates all this, and this is this term cytokine, which are these protein messenger molecules. Um, so the immune system normally lies fairly quiet doing its thing, and then obviously when infection comes or there's a muscle strain or a muscle tear or some sort of bruise or contusion, then it, it's upregulated. And part of that upregulation is the cytokine messenger molecules. But once that's uh, done its job, then the immune system needs to be downregulated and then you get the cytokines also come in. So they like the switch, if you like, to keep the immune system under control. Perfect. And you, know, you mentioned the immune system and obviously inflammation, one of its major effectors, and of course, both regulated by things like exercise and nutrition. So maybe we can start here with exercise first. Could you perhaps outline for folks how you know, acute bouts of moderate exercise, how they impact immunity compared to more prolonged and intense bouts of exercise with more you know, elite type athletes? Sure, and this has been studied quite extensively. You know, certainly in the last uh, probably two to three decades, you know, there's the interest um, and the ability to study these things has increased with technology and, you know, medical uh, breakthroughs and then translating into sports medicine and sports science that's been part of my work and many others uh, around the world. So, you know, the question is, you know, how does the different forms of exercise impact? And as you said, the moderate exercise which is the things that we promote. And, you know, in this day and age, it's all about being active and healthy. For sure, getting more And it's been work done, yeah, so something for all of us, whether an elite athlete or just a recreational, someone just going around our everyday lives. So being active is important. And that sort of low-level, moderate exercise is beneficial in all sorts of ways for health. Um, but one of the ways is it's been shown to actually enhance immune function. So those white blood cells and those protein responses can actually be increased or enhanced so if you undertake exercise, and it's pretty moderate as the standard sort of recommendations, you know, 30 to 40 minutes, three or four times a week at a, at a moderate intensity. So this is just your, your active walking or playing low-level sports or going to the gym and doing a workout. Yep. Um, so moderate exercise is beneficial. But at the other end of the spectrum, really intense exercise that perhaps more is in the line of sports and elite athletes and a lot of recreational enthusiasts too who really push pretty hard so Definitely. very intense exercise or very prolonged exercise eventually that may be a little bit immunosuppressive so you might get this little down regulation so talk about this post-exercise recovery period so if you do moderate exercise the immune system is actually upregulated uh, for a few hours and conversely if you go out and really do a big session or have a really intense competition sport or a match then once you're really fatigued and exhausted, the immune system actually goes down for a little while. So they talk about this window of recovery, and that becomes then the target zone for the recovery interventions and also post-training nutrition. That's terrific, David. And how do 
things for the athlete in terms of training, you know, if, you know, training volume, frequency, intensity, even things like load sequencing, if an athlete is potentially at a at higher risk or, or, or feeling rundown, what are some things that they could do on those fronts to help mitigate that potential risk? Yeah, that's no, a good question. So I guess it's the extension of this sort of understanding that, you know, potentially moderate exercise is good. Um, but there are some risks, and I guess those risks for elite athletes uh, can be moderated, you know, if they're prepared uh, and they're adapted and tolerate exercise. So it's obviously, and again, every athlete and coach would know that if you overdo it too soon, then that'll cause problems either by injury, you know, a strain, fatigue, or potentially this sort of increased risk of illness. Yep. But over a period of weeks to months as fitness increases – then the body's ability to handle all this sort of up and down motion of the immune system improves as well. So it's no surprise. It's just about doing, you know, balanced, uh, progressive uh, training and, you know, this whole discussion around periodization in terms of the planning, you know, week in, week out, you know, is important so you don't overdo it. And obviously through trial and error and people's expertise, you know, they quickly know how to manage that. Well, most people you know, not everyone, some people, you know, do do the wrong thing. So I guess in terms of that level, Mark, so about your planning of preparing for competitions or a season, um, so you need to factor that in. So this sort of balanced training or periodised training. And you mentioned about, I guess, individual sessions and just prescription of exercise, so intensity and duration. Um, so that's important, you know, when you're planning the training weeks but down to individual sessions and so – the conventional wisdom there is, you know, you don't want too many high-intensity sessions in a row. So often, you know, it might be two or three or four, you know, sessions where, you know, it's a bit higher in, in load, so intensity and volume, but you're intermixing that with, you know, lighter sessions or maybe some skill sessions or some shooting round sessions in basketball. So yep. you're thinking about the effect of each session and then telling that up. And so then you're looking at, you know, week by week um, how the load uh, increases and then how you actually uh, vary that load as a coach and, and an athlete. Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, obviously, nutrition, sleep, um, you know, st- managing stress, whether from, you know mental, emotional, even as, as as well as training stress, so so key in all these areas. And you know, for sports scientists like yourself or practitioners, you know, how do you measure immune system function in a meaningful way in athletes? Yeah, it's a question I get asked a lot, and I guess uh, my colleagues as well. So I think everyone understands, okay, health is important because we do want to stay healthy. We don't want to be distracted or inconvenienced by illness or injury or fatigue or poor performance. So everyone's invested in trying to find better ways to manage themselves. So as you said, Mark, I mean, it is a combination of factors, and that's where it's really, I guess, coming down to looking at the individual circumstances you know when a team environment everyone's basically on the same preparation or competition schedule mm-hmm. um but even within that environment you know athletes learn and i guess that's the experience of athletes as they mature you know they know how to manage themselves and manage the load so it is a little bit of a checklist as you said so around that lifestyle management so one is i guess their training and their exercise loads have been discussing and then the other sort of main checklist, I guess, for people to run through. And this is the sort of conversation of I have a coach come to me or an athlete saying, look, having a few issues, I'm feeling a bit flat or, you know, I keep getting, you know, colds and flus and so on. And then I just go through in my mind a little mental checklist around their lifestyle. So as you said, so it's their exercise and training loads, their recovery, both in terms of, you know, exercise modalities and uh, things that they can do at home and sleep. And as you said, nutrition is a big one, which I'm sure we're going to come to in a minute. And managing stress levels, because no doubt that's a big driver. Anxiety, and again, you know, we can all relate to that in our everyday life, you know, with our lifestyle stress, job stress, home stress, relationship stress. So that's a big one. And so with athletes, you say, okay, how's your training? Okay, have you got anything else going on at home, at school or in your work? Uh, ask questions about their sleep. So, and everyone would sort of nod okay, yeah, but you just need to go through those and explore a little bit and just see if there's anything that's a bit out of balance. That's terrific. And, you know, in terms of certain biomarkers as well, um, David, things like secretory IgA, how is that potentially useful in in being able to evaluate, you know, a stress load on an athlete or potentially how at risk they are for infection? Well, not very, actually. 
uh, so that's the question. People come in, so look, let's just review your um, your lifestyle arrangements, and then as you said, okay, and what about what other tests? Can I get a blood test? Can I do some other test with the doc or lab tests? And you mentioned about saliva, and again, I've done a lot of work over the years, as have other groups around the world, on saliva because saliva contains some of these um, proteins, the salivary IgA or immunoglobulin A. So it's a bit of a contentious point, actually, and there was a recent commentary just published earlier this year which was really, I guess, critical of this sort of overemphasis on biomarkers. Um, So it's a bit of an academic debate. Um, So I would say, and having a foot in both camps, that you probably want to put the lifestyle factors first and then you would work with your healthcare practitioner, so your sports dietitian or your GP or your your sports doc um, and saying, okay, I'm having some issues. And they would go through this sort of, okay, you know, what's your history? You know, what are you doing? Tell us about how you're training and recovering. And then in probably a minority of cases, they might then organise, okay, we might get some blood work up or we might do some other fancy test around a saliva test or viral tests. So the, the yields, as we scientists and medical people would say, you know, what's the yield or the utility or the usefulness of the test? For sure. So they only have a limited value, and so I always defer back to let's review the big picture, which is certainly engages the individual, so I think they can certainly relate to that. If it's some fancy blood test, you know, they might know, oh, can I get a blood test? But, um, you know, often they don't have as much value as looking at their other lifestyle factors. That's a great insight, especially in this day and age when we're always trying to find biomarkers to identify and flag all these things. Um, and it's such a complex system, as you explained there. It's just you, know, you need to be taking all these other things into account. You need to be communicating with the athlete. So that's that's terrific. And you know, if we dovetail now into this idea of, of you know how diet and nutrition impacts the immune system and, of course, the genesis of this new term, immunonutrition. So perhaps you can walk listeners through some of your research in terms of maybe we start with probiotics and how that how probiotics can influence uh, potentially the immune system and, and what the research tells us about probiotics and athletes. Yeah, and that's, uh, again, a pretty topical area. Uh, so all of us, you know, have probably been exposed to these messages, um, and obviously in terms of healthy eating and all the dietary supplements that we see on TV and certainly in um, sporting circles, you know, athletes, you know, are interested uh, in, you know, how do they improve themselves through their eating and their nutrition. Uh, so certainly something that's quite topical, and again, as, as you would know, Mark, with your background, that a lot of uh, information and learnings of athletes comes from what they hear and see. So these things are out there. I mean, the supplement use is pretty high mm-hmm. in sports and not only in, you know, uh, recognised sports, but also even in high schools and they've done surveys a lot of high school athletes, you know, taking supplements. So certainly something that's uh, out there. Um, and probiotics is certainly one of the topical ones. have been around for a few years. Um, and in some ways, perhaps a bit of a hot topic um, as well. And like a, a lot of things, you know, we're still learning our way through. So as a, a frontline researcher, I get a lot of questions, a practitioner, a lot of questions around probiotics. Uh, and it's been one of my areas. So I get inquiries from coaches, athletes, dietitians, uh, other researchers and medical practitioners and share some of my knowledge. Um, so, but often there's more questions than answers. This is often the way. For sure. So there's a small body of research coming through. So the challenge for me is trying to uh, match you know, what we learn on the ground with what the research is telling us and then our sort of professional expertise. So the probiotics are these microorganisms and it gets back to this whole gut and gut health, you know, which, again, is pretty topical, and the gut microbiome, Definitely. You know, which is that collection of, um, of bacteria that lives in your, um, your gut, which is part of the, the body's digestion system. So you know, your average adult weighing, uh, and I'm in metric units here, say 75 kilos, would have around about 750 grams to a kilogram of uh, gut bacteria. So billions of, of bacteria and they're there for digestion. So they're part of the natural processes of uh, the human body and the digestive processes to break down the food. Uh, of that one kilo of bacteria, there's about 500 different species. And some of those um, are really what we call probably the good bacteria. Uh, and some of these are the bad bacteria. And these are in balance. So, you know, as you go along, 
your daily activities. Uh, these things, you know, just do their work and part of, you know, digestion. But obviously things can out of sync. So sometimes more of the good bacteria, um, you know, they're exerting their effects and that's then healthy eating and good digestion. But in other occasions where the balance is tilted and the so-called bad bacteria um, take over. So probiotic supplements is really about adding a bit more of the good bacteria in. And so they're species that, again, people are probably familiar with the names, so like lactobacillus or lactobacillus acidophilus. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other main species is this bifidobacterium. So the ones that are advertised by um, the probiotic manufacturers and you see on TV or if you go into your health nutrition store uh, and you'll see you know, probably a few rows of shelves of probiotics. And if you looked on the side and read the label, a lot of them would have uh, lactobacillus or bifidobacteria and variations of those. So there's been about uh, 15 different species that have been studied of the 500. So there's still a lot that we don't know about the gut microbiome, but that's what the probiotics are. So they're their so-called good bacteria that we add to the diet to supplement the other elements of the diet. And again, Mark, you would know about healthy eating. There's all sorts of good points there around the macronutrients, you know, the carbohydrates, fats, proteins, fruits, vegetables, and so on. So probiotics are certainly in the mix there in the context of a good diet. 100%. And, you know, in terms of that supplementation for athletes, is there's something around, you know, the frequency or the duration of infection that can be um, benefited by by taking probiotics, whether it's prophylactically beforehand or, or whilst someone's having a, a bout of cold or flu? Uh, there are small benefits. So, you know, another takeaway message uh, today, Mark, would be small variable benefits. Uh, and again, you know, you put probiotics out uh, and people say, no, I think they think they're good, think they work. Uh, and the research is supportive of that. So the message that I've written about is their small variable benefits, which means that some people will get a small benefit. Some people might even get a moderate or large benefit. So they're having issues either with gut health or the immune system is a bit run down. Um, then they may actually get you know, moderate or even a large benefit, probably you know, less frequently. But in some other people, you know, there's probably not that much benefit at all. So really a trivial benefit. Uh, the, the side effects or harmful effects are pretty rare. So, you know, uh, and I guess this is where you consult your healthcare practitioner, your dietitian or your doctor for taking any supplement. So probiotics are pretty safe uh, if they're bought, you know, obviously in the right place and from a reputable manufacturer. Um, and the benefits there um, originally have been around gut health. So athletes that have issues around a leaky gut is the term. So that might be stomach cramps. It might be uh, gas it might be uh, loose stools, um, diarrhea, which can occur particularly in some endurance events. Yep. So you're out there running marathons, triathlons. It interacts with the hot weather, which, again, I think you might want to come to in a moment. So there's a range of factors that might predispose athletes to gut problems um, and a range of gut symptoms. So probiotics in some individuals are certainly part of, um, I guess, a package of measures to try and relieve those symptoms and minimise the risk. Um, the other area of benefit, which is probably more recent information, is in the respiratory system. And again, some of the work that I've done here in Australia and with some other colleagues, showing benefits not only to the gut, but more generalised health benefits mediated by the immune system that might actually manifest in terms of improved um, respiratory health. And that's athletes, you know, they get a lot of colds, or some athletes get a lot of colds, and respiratory problems, and now it looks like you know, perhaps taking probiotics and a range of other dietary practices and potentially other supplements and medications might also improve uh, respiratory health and lead to a decreased risk of a common cold or a flu coming in. So there's a range of health benefits, primarily the gut, but potentially other areas. And the most recent research, Mark, is around this gut-brain Access, yeah, yeah, which is uh, really still at the experimental stage and quite exciting. So in terms of things like uh, mood, uh, but also, you know, cognitive processing and maybe decision-making. So in our athletes, right at the end of a really exhaustive event or a game, you know, when you're coming down to the wire and trying to make smart decisions, uh, so you don't want turnovers, you know, in the last minute of a basketball game, for example, so there's intriguing work going on. A lot of that comes from the medical field, 
and the sports people are starting to look at that. So probiotics, small variable benefits, mainly for the gut, possibly for other systems. Um, but, yeah, we're looking for other benefits down the track as well. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. I had uh, Miguel Mateas from London, from the UK, on talking about that gut-brain connection. So there's definitely some potential there, which just seems seems exciting. And as you mentioned, obviously, the, the bacteria in the gut is so crucial. And, of course, you know, as a food-first approach, you know, having enough fiber in your diet, having prebiotics in your diet, eating a diet rich in polyphenols is, is really supportive of a good gut. So if, if we circle back to, to food and how food impacts the immune system, I know the role of carbohydrates have a key role in immunity. Could you walk listeners through how that can impact the immune system, especially with athletes who are really kind of pushing that red line in terms of training intensely? Well, that's the key that you've touched on and I mentioned a bit earlier. So it's a top-down approach. So starting with the basic food groups, um, the so-called macronutrients. Um, and you mentioned there carbohydrate, and there's quite a bit of work around the benefits of carbohydrate. And we know in sports, uh, obviously, carbohydrate is a pretty important fuel source for all sorts of different sports, but particularly in that endurance um, area. Um, and then proteins have their role as well uh, around tissue repair uh, and obviously in some sports looking at particularly increasing uh, muscle mass, so some of those power sports and in the contact sports. Uh, and obviously fats have their role as well as a fuel source. And again, I'm sure we recognise that, that a lot of these things uh, are discussed pretty vigorously in sports and in um, sports nutrition and in research circles. So you know, that's a big discussion for another day, but I think take it as read that you know, all of those have a role to play and certainly carbohydrate in terms of immune function, because it, it provides a fuel source, so broken into glucose, and glucose is used by these white blood cells, but also indirectly through um, things like cortisol, so this hormonal system, and uh, cortisol, amongst many other hormones, exerts a whole sorts of roles, uh, influences on body cells and processes, so carbohydrates are important. And then you mentioned about um, polyphenols, so more now about uh, fruits and vegetables for fibre, fibre content for you know, having a good, healthy gut. So that's important. And then looking at um, these polyphenols, uh, which come from a lot of the fruits, fruit juices and so on. There's been a bit of fair bit of work there done there. And uh, one of my colleagues in the US, uh, David Neiman, who's been one of the pioneers in this whole sports nutrition, immunonutrition area, sure. has done a lot of work. And I think they have small variable benefits as well. So there's no panacea here, and it's really looking at a diet that you know, really ticks most of the boxes, to use that analogy, um, and that I guess it's tried and tested so people are comfortable. And we work a lot with our athletes, so you know they know what works for them. So that's important. So it's trial and error, as well as uh, taking on the good advice. Terrific. And if we... Continue down this road of macronutrients, obviously protein, really important for the immune system. We talked about carbohydrates. What about the role of omega-3 fats and the inflammatory, the anti-inflammatory nature and how that might impact immunity? Yeah, and again, that's another topical one. Again, you know, it just goes back to you know, uh, nutrition really around omega-3 and polyunsaturated uh, fats. So you know, we mentioned about uh, fat as a fuel source, um, but these other different types of fats – so the lipids and then the fish oils, uh, so your omega-3, do have important roles. Uh, and it's a bit the same, you know, like I guess I take the middle road here, Mark. You know, you will find some people that swear by these either through their uh, their own anecdotal reports or some people have pushed these uh, things through in a commercial sense. Uh, so, yeah. again, you know, these things aren't the answer, but uh, fish oils are important having fish in the diet, so coming back to the just food groups, so we can talk about the red meats and the white meats um, for protein sources, and obviously again you throw in the term like the heme heme iron uh, in those red meats, but the white meats and fish is a good source of protein, but because it also has a range of these other products, the uh, omega three, uh, and that can be sourced through you know the food sources, um, but also supplements, and it's the same with the probiotics. So I guess the, the final point there, Mark, is. So we talked a lot about supplements, but don't neglect the food sources of probiotics, which are mainly these dairy foods. So certain cheeses and yogurts, which again, most people would, would know, and some of those milk dairy products, but also uh, cultured foods 
and there's increasing interest in a range of uh, cultured foods and really one real popular one now is kombucha so fermented tea which is certainly popular uh Definitely. in certain places you know here in australia um so there's a range of uh other sources and some of those are different foods you know there's asian style foods so kimchi which is korean um the kombucha so encourage people to look at their diet uh, and certainly in making sure their dairy products and their dairy sources fish as you mentioned but also they could explore some of these and you know, ask again your healthcare practitioner and you know, there's a fair bit of information around on different sources of fermented foods and it could be a complement of, you know, fermented foods and potentially probiotic supplements if you wanted to go down that path. Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, definitely having that well-rounded nutritional base of, of what the athlete's eating is so crucial to this whole story. And, and Prof, in your years of experience, you know, are there certain supplements, as, whether it's athletes or the general population, that get a lot of maybe press or people tend to think of in terms of the immune system, but when you look at the evidence base, there's just not a lot of good support uh, to actually be using uh, such a product? Yeah, there's a long list, isn't there? So I guess that's <laughs> sure. you know, what we would say, the elephant in the room. Yeah. Uh, so as we've been discussing today, you know, I think you start in the middle and you know, look at this sort of fairly conventional approach. So it's this uh, food first uh, analogy that you mentioned, Mark. So certainly I'm I'm big on that, uh, and then work your way down the list. Uh, so certainly supplements have a role. There's no doubt about that. Um, but then you've got to make sure you're taking the right ones. So which are the right ones? Well, I guess that's the minefield for people to navigate, and even for you know practitioners like yourself and myself. Um, you know, that's an ongoing education for us. Uh, and sometimes these things, you know, are heavily promoted and there's a lot of interest that precedes, I guess, the evidence base. So there's no easy answer to that. So I guess that's just asking the questions of, and that's probably, again, one of the take-home messages today. So within the context of your team, so your coach, your staff, uh, each other, uh, but certainly getting that um healthcare practitioner advice would be critical because all of us, you know, have really got to follow that evidence base. But then, you know, it's doing that individual basis, so I can't emphasize enough. Uh, again, it goes back to the old trial error in a way. So here's something that people recommend, but then you've got to use it uh, in your setting. So, you know, in your diet, in your training program, you know, in your lifestyle. So get the, uh, the advice, but then, you know, systematically look at how you can best use those supplements would be my advice yeah terrific terrific advice in terms of uh, individualized approach being able to personalize that and really sitting down with the athlete the team whoever's in front of you and figuring out the the best way to get to that outcome of, of keeping all those athletes healthy and on the on the pitch on the playing field and training throughout the season and you know if we circle back to something that you mentioned before that we were going to get to here which is the you know environmental extremes things like very hot very cold how do those things impact immune function uh, in a minor way, and again, you know, cut to the bottom line. So, uh, you know, it's where are the big effects. The big effects that we're talking about today are diet and probably training uh, and potentially these other lifestyle stresses, the psychological stress. So when that comes in, you know, that can have a really powerful impact that can almost overwhelm the system. So, you know, the everyday management is probably training and uh, sleep and recovery and diet. Uh, and occasionally these big life events will come in and probably the environmental stress is a bit like that. So it's probably, you know, a secondary consideration for the most part. Uh, and again, that, that's something that should be fairly readily identifiable. So obviously there are extremes, so particularly in the heat, there's been a lot of work done and certainly if the conditions are really oppressive, so it's hot and humid and people aren't prepared for it in terms of heat training and their cooling and their drinks and then they get uh, heat stress, uh, and there are obviously every year uh, people who succumb to that. Uh, but you do know the conditions are going to be pretty adverse, so you've got to be smart and sensible, try and avoid training and competing in the middle part of the day. So there's no doubt that heat stress um, you know, does have its risks, but they should be readily identifiable, and there's a lot of mitigation strategies that you can undertake. Uh, the other environmental ones probably that come into it are air pollution, so again, you know, a lot of us live in big cities now and the air quality can be pretty variable. So from reasonable to poor to very poor. So, but again, that's 
fairly readily identifiable, I think. So if you're living in a big city, you know, you can get a sense of that or, you know, you can find the information. So, you know, staying away uh, from more heavily polluted, uh, thinking of air, but also in water, you know, for those athletes competing on or in water. So I think it's just being, you know, smart and alert about trying to minimise these risks, you know, where they present. So we talk about heat, we talk about air and water pollution, and probably the other one would be um, altitude. So, again, not for every athlete, but um, some of the winter sport athletes and some of the athletes who are going to compete and train in a high altitude, that can be pretty stressful if you're not prepared for it. But, again, you will know that. I mean, you should know where you are or where you've got to train or compete at. So, again, that's something that can be built into the preparation program. That's terrific. And, and Prof, if we talk sort of marginal gains and some of the different recovery strategies – you know, whether, again, it's athletes, even general population, people using saunas, people using ice baths. Um, are there some potential benefits there on immune function with some of these recovery strategies? Uh, I think so. Again, you know, what we're talking about, Mark, is, well, what's, you know, the biggest factor is probably sleep. And, you know, there's a lot of work being done at the moment. So in terms of recovery practices, you know, that pretty much is at the top of the list. Uh, and then you come to nutrition uh, and training modifications, so how you um, plan your training week and your program to uh, have enough uh, recovery rounds or just easy exercise, so shooting around or maybe an easy run. Uh, and then you come to things like all the recovery modalities, which are the, the saunas, the plunge pools, uh, the contrast water, immersion, the massage. Uh, so those things, you know, again, there's some evidence out there, so I think you know there's gathering evidence on sleep. You know, the nutrition, as we've been discussing today, Mark, is pretty important. Uh, exercise itself is pretty important. You come down to some of those other recovery things, and the evidence there is perhaps a bit thinner. But I'm always pragmatic, you know. And if people, again, like using these, and that's where the belief factor comes in. So we talk a lot about the placebo effect. It's amazing how but powerful if it is, like right? Having a massage, it is. It's very powerful. So, again, it's you know, wrapped up in the psychology and belief. So, like, some athletes swear by massage, you know, so they might get one or two massages a week. It makes them feel good, and there might be some actual physical benefits, you know, hands-on body, but it, it's probably the psychological and the belief. Uh, and so a lot of that's what coaching is, really. There's a lot of psychology that goes in coaching and a lot of belief factors. So that's the world that we live in. You know, we all respond to that in whatever we do. So, and recovery's in there as well. If people think they're eating right and they've done a bit of homework and they know they respond well to certain diets, either pre-game or post-game, well, yeah, that's a pretty powerful factor. And I know uh, talking with our dietitians here, well, let's get it right. Let's get the nutrition right. Let's rehearse it and people get the confidence that, oh, yeah, I feel pretty good doing this. So you're getting everything. You're getting the actual physiological, biological effect and you're getting the belief effect and that confidence that, yeah, I've done this many times before and I normally feel pretty good. Um, so I think it's wrapping all those things in. So good eating, good training, good recovery, and then the confidence that you know that, yeah, that's a system that works for you as an athlete. Fantastic, Prof. Great insights here. And I definitely want to respect your time. So before we wrap up, last couple of questions for you. Um, over the course of your career, you know, what have you seen? What are some of the biggest changes you've seen over the, you know, over the time when you started out to now, whether it's on the immunity exercise and immunity front, you know, the nutrition, sleep, all these things in, in your experiences, what are some of the, the biggest eye openers of, of changes that have happened over that time span? Well, I think uh, as we were just discussing, it's the explosion of information. I mean, it's, you know, the digital world, internet age, you know, social media, so the amount of information that's out there, although some of it obviously then is this sort of fairly anecdotal. So, yeah, that's uh, certainly, you know, even in our lifestyle last five to ten years, you know, it's just really changed a lot. So it's, you know, busy marketplace out there for athletes and to be bombarded with all sorts of information. So how do they filter that? So I guess that's a, a big challenge now. Uh, and for me, it's still doing this uh, background research to find answers. And then it's the real world experience of working with athletes and coaches and other practitioners to learn. So it's the combination of trial and error and people's hard earned experience. And you complement that with the research, which often takes a bit of time and often that will lag. And it's bring that information together 
but then it's how is that information communicated. And so there's all sorts of ways of doing that, but the challenge is it's, you know, against this background noise. So for me, it's still that journey about trying to learn and learn more and learn as we go uh, from coaches and healthcare providers and fellow researchers uh, and then trying to make sense of that. But what are the messages? How do we package up the messages? And obviously it's trying to get clear, simple, evidence-based messages out, which I think are there. And so we're trying to promote you know, good eating, um, you know, good lifestyle management, good training management. And obviously that's different things for different sports and different events and different people. So getting that sort of fairly conventional advice out you know, against the background noise. Uh, so that's the challenge that we're all, we're all in, but it's then just about communication and engagement and just how we move forward. That's terrific. And, you know, on that note of providing evidence-based answers, if, if you know, obviously athletes listening in, recreational athletes, practitioners, for folks who are trying to prevent, you know, cold and flu to be able to train hard over the course of this uh, winter season, what are some practical evidence-based tips that they can use to help um, prevent infections? Well, a lot of things we have discussed. I guess the other one, Mark, that we probably haven't really touched on is is hygiene. So in terms of illness, uh, then really it's really about trying to prevent illness and so this is transmission. Um, and there's three main sources there that you can look at your hygiene. Uh, so one is airborne transmission. So this is what everybody knows. It's the coughing and sneezing, which do come with you know, the winter season, so the flu season. And there's obviously an increase in the number of cases of um, common colds and, and influenza. So a lot of those are transmitted through coughing and sneezing. So, again, that's for everyone to see. So it's about doing the right thing. You know, if you are feeling a bit ill and you are sneezing and coughing, it's do the right thing by people in your immediate vicinity. So teammates, you know, people at home, people in the workplace. Um, so be alert to coughing and sneezing, doing the right thing there. The second one probably is more this sort of food and waterborne transmission. So, again, we've talked a lot today about healthy eating. So that's just making sure you've got uh, good, healthy food practices so that food isn't contaminated, uh, left out in the sun or left out of the refrigerator and has been prepared you know, hygienically. Uh, and the same with water. So obviously clean water is important and sharing of drink bottles, you know, in the, the team sense. Um, so that's important advice. And the third one, I guess, is more in the medical domain is around bloodborne infection. Mm-hmm. So transmission through bloodborne, and again, this has been known for quite a few years now. So in terms of particularly contact sports, you know, where there's cut or blood, and most sports now have pretty strict rules. So if someone gets cut and there's blood, yeah, normally there's a stoppage there, and they'll go to the blood bin or get cleaned up. So they're the three main areas that people need to be alert. So it's airborne through coughing and sneezing, food and water. So it's just doing the right thing, being hygienic there and washing of hands is important. And then obviously in context of sports, it's just being alert to bloodborne. But yeah, people are pretty good on the bloodborne these days, but sometimes we get a bit of complacent around hand hygiene. That's terrific. Yeah, it's amazing how those fundamentals become so important. And I think anybody who has um, little kids under five who go to daycares and whatnot are definitely uh, clued up on the hand washing and everything else because it is amazing how quickly things go around. And last question for you here, Prof. I want to definitely respect your time here. So, you know, in terms of the evolution of research on exercise and immunology, you know, where will we be in the next sort of five or ten years? Is it biomarkers? Is it uh, you know, on the nutrition, the supplemental front? Where's the next breakthrough? Do you think to come? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess I'll answer that in two ways. So one is it'll always be the combination of this practical advice. So we've discussed today mainly around these practical strategies, you know, diet, training, lifestyle, uh, and trying to improve our understanding of those practices. Uh, And that's still coming through. There's still more of that applied work around practical strategies. But more on the medical front. So it's just now, you know, right at the cutting edge of medical and sports medicine research is you know in the lab now so this is things like the gut microbiome and we're still at our infancy of understanding you know what is it about the microbiome how do we measure it how do we improve it through you know diet or other means so a lot of that is this uh, benchtop work so taking blood samples and analyzing those in the lab so looking at um, the gut microbiome which you can actually analyze uh, 
through the blood, it's pretty hard to actually do the tissue sections. Obviously, you know, we can take specimens, and that's obviously like our gastroenterologists can sometimes take, you know, tissue sections. That's not something that we access a lot in sports medicine. And the other way there is obviously through stool analysis, which sounds a bit yucky, but, uh, again, that's, you know, one means. So we're learning a lot about gut health. And then the other one is the immune system and its regulation, uh, which we touched on right at the start. But it's looking then, I guess, at the whole regulation of that through cytokines, so these protein messenger molecules, through the gut-brain axis and all the neurotransmitters um, that circulate in the body that have these powerful effects in the brain and then on our mental functioning. And then things like the whole um, genetic control, so the genome and the phenotype and obviously the epigenetics research, which is, you know, a big field in medicine, so all around disease and lifestyle diseases and cancers. So there's work now, exploratory work now being undertaken in there to understand at a genetic level, while some people have really good guts, some people have really good immune systems, maybe some people have really resilient bodies in terms of injuries uh, and illness and fatigue. So all that work is that's, you know, the 5, 10-year, 20-year time frame so for me, you know, we continue to learn as we go over trial and error and the practical side. Um, but we're obviously working now to see, you know, what the latest breakthroughs. But they do take a while to come through into the system so that people can access that uh, information. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating, fascinating stuff, uh, Prof. And, and really appreciate you taking the time and definitely want to, you know, where can people stay connected with you and keep up with all of your uh, phenomenal research? Well, I'm accessible like everyone uh, through uh, obviously the internet and obviously if you use my name in your search engine uh, and uh, University of Canberra is my um, host organisation, but certainly in connection with any of these topics that we've discussed today. So search engine in the sports science space through um, immune system or probiotics, which has been part of our main discussion today. Uh, you'll find access to some of the work that I've done and certainly I'm happy to take any of those inquiries. Fantastic. Well, definitely appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Thanks again for everyone else tuning in. We will link to some of the papers, Professor Pine's papers discussed here in the show uh, notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. If you have any questions for Professor Pine and want to leave a comment on today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs. Of course, if you enjoy the show, please take a minute, subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks again, and see you guys all next week. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's performance podcasts.